0: You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers, with Saya, Anisa, and Boroma. Welcome to our last spoiled yak of the year, I think. There may actually be another, but don't quote me on that. This one is real Shiga hen business. If you don't know that phrase yet, and you love time travel, it's definitely time to learn it. Get it? Get it? <laughs> we start off the episode by taking a broader look at how K-Drama treats sci-fi stories before we get into the specifics of Sisyphus where, once again, Boromir allows me to shout at her as we tend to cool the thing apart and decide whether it deserves to be put back together. You know what though, here's the spoiler version. Sisyphus wasn't perfect, but it had a lot of good stuff in it. So we talk about what was perfect and what squandered potential, how Jocelyn will play as a trash friend you still kinda love, and how action Barbie Pakshine is actually one of our favourite Pakshines. So even if you didn't watch or didn't like this show, listen in! Before we go there, a few other things. (laughs) I hope you guys are ready and excited for our year and yak. It's our favorite episode of the year and it's when we hand out our precious Goguma awards. You guys made it so special and amazing last year by sending in your voice notes and we would dearly, dearly love to do the same this year. So if you'd like to take part, it's super easy. Just make a recording no longer than two minutes on what stood out to you most in 2021. The good, the bad, the anyeppo. (laughs) Whether that's a drama, a trend, a trope, or all of the above. And 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 don't forget to introduce yourself at the start, otherwise no one will know who you are. Then just send it off to us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com, or upload it directly to the Dropbox link in the show notes. If you're not sure what you've watched this year, or, if you're like me, what even this year is, don't forget to go grab yourself our free and fantastically useful K drama tracker as made by Boromer. Probably when she was meant to be doing something else, but we deeply appreciate your service, P. Thank you. Another way you can join in is by voting for your favourite dramas of the year. Just click the poll link in the show notes. This is a whole new award, and we're excited to see what you guys will pick. So is Goguma. He doesn't give his children away easily, you know. You must work. There's still plenty of time to play in our annual one-shot drama reviews on Twitter under its shiny new hashtag, DramasOver2021. If you just like to lurk, browse the tag for a whole lot of punchy and succinct reviews, or come check out our Twitter where we retweet them all. Lastly, 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 every day is an appreciation day here at Goguma HQ. To our listeners and our patrons, your support is what gives us so much joy and keeps us from drowning. We are incredibly blessed that you allow us into your lives via a variety of magical metal boxes, and that from all the corners of the world where you listen to us, write to us, yell at us, and laugh along with us, we get to be part of your story. Most of our gratitude resides in our hearts. Some of it, some of it makes its way onto Patreon in the form of the little extra episodes with the occasional blooper reel thrown in to keep us humble and silly. You'll find those at patreon.com slash dramasoverflowers. And don't worry, some of us are always a little sillier than we need to be. And since this may be my last intro reel of the year, I must let a couple of love notes under the door for the two terrible miscreants without whom I would not be doing this podcast. You guys may not know this, but Boromah is legit a wizard, and Anissa is legit a queen. The non-despotic kind, of course. And the only thing bigger than their brains are their hearts. Anissa and Boromah, you are simply the most much in your jazz in K-drama land and beyond. you ain't got nothing on you. Neither does Yusin, hmm... Well, anyway, shall we get into this episode? This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title, And They Lived Happily Ever After, by critically acclaimed South African author Therese Bihari. In this sparkling own voices novel, Bihari delivers a magical romantic comedy set in Cape Town about a woman who is literally living her dreams and conjuring a real life hero out of them. Successful romance author Gaia Anders has a secret. Anything she dreams at night is magically written into her best selling novels. After a lonely childhood in foster care, her dream life is the only one she trusts. Gaia's waking life just can't compare, until she gets caught utterly by surprise by one near perfect guy. That guy is workaholic businessman Jacob Scott, who's had a crush on his brother's best friend Gaia since forever, but he never expected to literally share her dreams. This could be a gay drama, guys. <laughs> And They Lived Happily Ever After is a book full of heart, heat, and smart banter, my is thing, from a rising author and perfect for fans of Talia Hibbert, Abby Jimenez, and Alicia Rye. You can find And They Lived Happily Ever After by Therese Bihari wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Hi everyone,
1: this is Saya. This is Parva, and today we bring you a spoiled gag of Sisyphus. You know, I was about to introduce myself as fi <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hi everyone, this is sci! <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, because, okay. You know what's funnier? I because our introduction usually goes, "Hi, I'm Saya Anisa Forma." I wasn't going to introduce myself as Anissa because I was like, "There's a gap I've there that. that needs that. to be filled."
0: <laughs> like this is staying in, right? Yeah. There was this one time I was recording an intro, and it, you know, like intros take fifty thousand times to get right. uh-huh Um. So. I was like, yeah, hi, this is Saya, blah, blah, blah. And at one point, I was like, hi, this is Anissa. <laughs> <laughs> why am I
1: introducing <laughs> myself as Anissa? <laughs> Listen was, when we say we are recording the intro, we mean the part absolutely at the beginning where we are explaining what the episode's about before all of us jump in together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that, that's how professional we <laughs> are. I think, I think are. it's because it's Anissa's like our standard and we... And we default to that. <laughs> oh, poor The girl. queen
0: we aspire to be. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So. <clears throat> okay. So. so. It was,
1: yeah. This is this was a long promised episode because it's a bit polarizing. This drama. We have some people who really hated it. A lot of people who left it after the first couple of weeks, and you have us who kind of loved it. <laughs>
0: I kind of would argue that it's not polarizing. I think it was almost universally really not enjoyed. <laughs> and we're the weirdos who are like, no, actually, you all watched it wrong. It was a good drama with a few flaws. But then I guess that's kind of the reason why we're doing this, because like both of us are sci-fi fans when it comes to TV anyway. I actually really hate sci-fi in books and I don't read it. Um, But for some reason, sci-fi on TV really works for me. And K-drama doesn't have a lot of hard sci-fi going for it. So Sisyphus is a rarity in the K-drama landscape anyway. So, I mean, inevitably, it's going to have its hiccups. But I think people often forgot because of the high-power casting, because, you know, Pak Shine, they forgot that this is a genre drama.
1: And a genre drama isn't always for everyone. True. And... The thing is that I think the K-drama audience is far too used to magic realism in its, in its speculative fiction variety of dramas, like where things are not just, you know, contemporary storytelling. It's about something, a larger idea. It's more theme-based than it is just character-based. And mm-hmm. magic realism works... Um, I mean, think of any uh, fantasy drama... Uh, everything like mystic pop-up bar probably is more magic realism whereas you have the king eternal monarch is more fantasy fantasy though mm. i mean it, it can go either ways because they don't really explain the rules of the world much they, mm. there's a lot of hand waving and oh magic <laughs> and you can you just and the have rules to are not the point yeah, the yeah rules are never the point true whereas with hard sci-fi like this um the purer it is, the more rule focused it is. And yes, you can absolutely argue that something like a time machine, the uploader in this drama in Sisyphus, you never really get an explanation about how the uploader is built. Of course, you don't, nobody knows how a time machine is built. It's quantum. Just live with that. But <laughs> it's but, by its nature inexplicable to mere mortals. <laughs> exactly. If if we if we could explain that, then we would have we an can uploader. Make it. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing to note here is that the rules here really matter. The entire story is about the rules of the timelines, how they mix, what happens if Park Shin Hye succeeds in her mission and kind of eradicates the ending of this particular time. I mean, what happens if she messes up, messes with the past and succeeds in stopping the war? And... Nobody actually knows. I mean, even the characters don't seem to know until the very end when we kind of get an answer. And there are a lot of theories about how the timelines function. Saya did this amazing diagram that's <laughs> up on our blog. we we'll link to that. Just look at it. If you don't understand how the timelines work, Just go and look at her explanation. She explains it beautifully and has done a hand-drawn diagram that needs to be (laughs) seen.
0: Only because I can't do it in paint or whatever fancy software people used to do art. But the basic thrust of that diagram was... uh, We're actually going to talk about this a little later, but I'll say briefly right now that the narrative structure of Sisyphus is not a linear narrative. And that was a really, really key point. And... We will talk about this later, because otherwise I'll skip ahead. You're trying to <laughs> We're keep... trying to keep to the order. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, Anissa would be so proud of us. Um, so
0: right. Well, one of the really like one of the most important things that you have to do in hard sci-fi, which you off you can do more easily in in like magical realism or in a fantasy show, and you don't need to do it all in a just an ordinary show. I mean, you do, but not in the same way, the world building. And I think Sisyphus actually really excelled in its world building. And it steered away from doing that, you know, the exposition dumps and things like that. Like it did what is called soft world building. Mm. So it introduced the world and the rules of the world and how everything worked in it in a very organic, natural way. And it did introduce a lot of those elements a little more slowly than people liked. And I think that's why a lot of people left the show because it was taking too much time. But if you stuck around, it was very rewarding, I found. Yeah. If you sort okay. of cracked cracked the structure.
1: Uh, I probably would have... I- See, the thing is that I often flippantly say that I would have like, stopped watching this if it wasn't for your enthusiasm uh, for the drama. And because we had committed to doing reviews, so I had to keep mm. watching. But <laughs> yeah. that's not true. I, I like both these actors so, so much. Jo Sung Moo and Park Shin Hye are both incredible mm. actors and I like their characters. I had complaints in the first, I think, three episodes. I had complaints about Park shin characters only so much as I loved how how amazing she was at fighting. And I loved that she was the one who was, you know, basically just dragging him from here to there, trying to rescue him. And he was like this hapless, helpless <laughs> being. I love that dynamic. But I also felt a little frustrated because the, the show wasn't doing info dumping. It was doing the exact opposite. Right. They weren't giving <laughs> us any information. And mm. I was like, okay, we are driving blind. And Park shin character is a sphinx, which is the most frustrating character in, in drama land. And how long is this supposed to be? Like, I need to know something about her backstory. What exactly about her am I supposed to sympathize with? She's the one with the great glorious mission and I don't know how it happened but then I think around the second week episode four ish we have that flashback or like flash forward (laughs) to the post-apocalyptic world where uh, third week
0: third week yeah
1: no, it was not even. It was episode seven. No, no, no. So I said that I said that in the video. I was wrong. It was actually episode four where they first did that. Oh, um, you know, okay. where Bakshin is just walking around uh, and listening the, to right, right, BTS. Right. Yeah. yeah, they just gave us that snippet. And I was hooked. Now, they didn't give us any more information. Then we had to wait for week three, I think, which episode seven-ish, where they started giving us actual meaty information about her. But... Dude, that one glimpse of her life in the post-apocalyptic world, which I think it was Detonant who had called her post-apocalyptic Barbie, which is actually kind of appropriate. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved how pink everything was, how much she loved fluffy, soft things, but she was also like ready to gun down A wolves. And, her. Yeah, yeah. It's just wow. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this version of like Action Girl parks. yeah, I think I've talked about it in like three other episodes already. <laughs> but, you know, we are so used to seeing women as like what is it not as action girls there aren't enough action girls in, in Kid Remeland. Yeah, and you can't
1: always do it perfectly I mean occasionally you get a Park Boyong type of action girl like the, the strong girl the Bong-soon. and no I mean yes I did enjoy but... that I mean I enjoyed that as a character but the story didn't work the, the thing that I object to is the peculiar and grating reverse sexism thing And okay I know that sort of thing but you know how the drama <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) did that where they were basically the women If the entire idea of the drama seemed to be that if women were stronger than men, they would abuse men. That's what I came out of the drama thinking. It's true of the hero and heroine. It's true of Park Bo Young's character's parents. Like her mom constantly abused her dad. And this these were all supposed to be super loving relationships. I was like, why? Why must you? Because usually what we get in drama land is really clever women Mm. and they might be really good with guns, but in physical combat, that's this entire niche that's given solely to men. Female characters aren't usually very physically. I mean, they might be but, athletic, but they are not. Mm, they are not fighters. They're not action heavy. Yeah, yeah. They're not like heavy. their
0: character description is not that they're a fighter. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. Because you do, for example, like women who play detectives. And you know my whole thing with playing. <laughs> a de- everyone needs to play a detective, <laughs> which I've never talked about like on air. But um, yeah, I have this. Um, belief that everyone is improved. It's a I'm gonna write about this one Please day. Please do. Um, I love story. When this I theory. get over my procrastination. Who
1: who was it? Who was it mostly it was uh Hyung uh, what's Hyung Shik Pak Hyung Shik? What what am I doing to his name? I'm so sorry, poor boy. Uh Pak Shik, right? You you were like he hasn't played a detective yet but once he does. Yeah he hasn't he needs to <laughs> but he has played a crown prince. He has so that counts. Like
0: prince. you either like it's Crown Princes and, and Rugged <laughs> Detectives. It's, it's got to be both. And, you know, like Yoo Seung-ho, Yo all of those people yeah. have done that. Yeah. And, yeah, Park shik hasn't done it yet. He needs to. His his uh, At least one of his next roles needs to be a rugged detective. And even, like, Yi Kyung, who... Okay, well, that's a digression. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But do <to> we revisit it? <laughs> we will come back to this one day. Um and now I've lost the thread of whatever it was that we were saying. Oh, um yeah, Action Girls. And yeah. oh where did where the show turn? so for you it turned just on that little glimpse, which is funny because you were like not into it even after that point. And I was still going, even though I hadn't got that, that, oh, I'm here for this moment.
1: No, but no, no, episode seven.
0: Okay. So I said oh, like, finish, was? finish. Okay. Finish,
1: finish. <laughs> finish, I'll come back to it. I, I promise I'll come back. Finish, finish. <laughs> okay.
0: For me, episode seven was that point. And, you know, you're talking about fourth week now. So I've already gone through three weeks. And... I think part of it is because I'd committed to reviewing it and when you commit to reviewing something you're sort of you're there for the ride no matter what happens unless it's so egregious that you can't you know, finish it like Record of Youth, which continues to this day not to have a finale <laughs> finale week review. <laughs> oh, it was so um, bad. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. We're digressing so much. It's me. I know it's me. It's always me. <laughs> it's of <laughs> track. Yeah, so I think that that little flash that we had earlier, it did interest me, but it didn't like completely suck me in the way episode seven did. And you're right. Like once we saw where Sohei came from, and what kind of a world she was in, it made her as a character suddenly come so alive. And because she'd been quite flat before that, and she barely said anything before that, she was just this sort of silent, stoic fighter. And, you know, like Anissa said this earlier, that action does not a character arc make. So she finally took on life and when she did she was such a fascinating and interesting character that you could not help or I could not help but be entirely sucked in because that's also when all of the time uh, elements started being important yeah and that's like crack to me everything to do with time and how the future or the past interacts with the things that are happening in what is the present of the show and like that moment I think it was the end of episode 7 where she finds the diary and you're like That's her body. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: That was the part. I was like, oh, my God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was my turning point.
1: Okay. So, see, actually, yes, exactly. Me too. In that, I became invested in the story around episode seven. Once we actually got the meat of her side of the story. And then, again, the entire drama did this pivot where in the... First six episodes, it was all Teesul this, Teesul that. Teesul's grief over his brother. Teesul being arrogant with his friend. It's just all Teesul and how brilliant he is. Which I didn't mind because it's Jo (laughs) Because I enjoyed it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but it was not a story. It was just, I mean, Mm. what does that to do with time travel? I mean, give me the perspective of the time traveler. And they finally did in episode seven. Mm. But the reason I mentioned episode four is because once they did that, that walk around post-apocalyptic, I think, was it Seoul or was it somewhere else? Busan, like where, Where? Wh- which town or city were they in? It was not Seoul, I think. I actually don't know. I assumed it was Seoul. No, but remember they took a train from they did, Seoul didn't to they? some other. Okay, so whichever city that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she was just walking around the city that she had been born in. And it was just all like trees and crushed buildings and old Shops that are mostly empty, but there are canned goods, and she's scavenging those. And she's just walking around. There's a corpse. Oh, that was the theme. person. investigated here. takes out the wallet, throws away the, the money, money, and yeah, there's a rat. and keeps she's pockets just, the coins. She I thought that was so interesting
0: was, because because metal has value. Yeah. What value does paper have except as kindling? Like, do you remember when they when um what's his name says that afterwards? Sigma. Yeah. In in the future, this yeah. is just kindling.
1: And I and he. Has stacks of that in his room yeah. and he was just shoving oh, them away such great imagery that yeah. was okay we'll come come to sync Bob. but you <laughs> know because there's a lot to be said there and Sohei was so interesting in just those I think what 5 to 10 minutes of just her that we got in that it it was a pretty slow segment in, in the middle of a drama but it finally gave me a sense of her and that was enough for me to stay because in the first three episodes, I was enjoying the action, but it got repetitive really fast and there was not enough mm. explanation happening. So I was kind of hoping for something and that scene kept me in. And I was like, okay, mm. so now I know a little bit more of her and I kept my fingers crossed and I for more story, which happened... Episode 7, where the drama suddenly (laughs) shifted and they were like, you know what, Sohei makes a better hero. Let's focus on her perspective. And that was just, it just worked for me after that. It finally clicked. So, see, I actually think that
0: the show always knew that Sohei was the hero. But the problem was that they had Josungu. And then you're like, you know... But see, this is um that that point in episode seven and we'd been like we talked about how did we talk about how the pacing was weird and no, so we there haven't, was all this floppy oh, oh, basically, it was really like this The tension of the story was really floppy, and episode 7 was where it sort of wound it so, so tight, and that was where it reminded us, or perhaps revealed to us, actually, so here's the hero. But the show had this built into its premise from the start. It's just
1: comes a question of like directing and how they chose to tell the story at that point but you know the problem with the way it was directed I mean aside from the editing issues the pacing issues everything that frustrated me we have covered that extensively in previous yaks so we we Mm. won't go too much into that the problem with it was after Sisyphus had finished up and I released this video called um, "Sohei is the real Sisyphus I went into Reddit and other places to read because I tend to wait to have, like, my uh, take uploaded before I go and read other people's takes <laughs> yeah. so that I'm not, like, yeah. subconsciously stealing from other people. I think we all do that. <laughs> right, yeah, right? Okay, so I went in there and I, and I was so <laughs> stunned to find that there were other people arguing who was the real Sisyphus, Sigma or Tesol? That was the argument. Oh, okay. Most people didn't even <laughs> consider Sohei a, 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 a legitimate contender. It was it's pro it's Sigma, right? Or or it's Thesol, right? I mean that was the actual conversation. But that is the fault of the directing. You can't give Taysul the first six episodes fully and mm. then also the finale, which we'll Expect get to. Expect people to realize that actually he's
0: not the main character. It's
1: it's it's Sohei, who's always making the decision to go back each time and try again and again. She is mm-hmm. Sisyphus. Oh my God, do you not know the story of Sisyphus? How are you <laughs> mixing this up? <laughs> um, I have
0: a confession though. Yeah. All of that said, I think I was one of those people. And until you had said it in your video, I was like, oh, my God, she's <laughs> right. And how did I miss this? Because it's so plain to see. But then also, that is how I missed it, because of all the reasons that you said. Yeah, But it's, yeah, I mean, I don't want to focus on the negative things of the drama. But I have to say that these days... When uh, director Jinhyuk is helming a drama, I'm not as excited as I used to be. I sort of wonder, okay, what are you going to do wrong this time? (laughs) Because like I'm beginning to think, like his dramas are really gorgeous. They're always so beautiful, right? But I'm beginning to think like City Hunter is uh, an anomaly among his dramas. Yeah, uh, sadly, because you know, think of like Legend of the Blue Sea. There was Doctor Stranger. Um, what oh his other dramas um, oh like Prosecutor Princess was pre-City Hunter so I'll be like okay that was before your peak <laughs> um, and then like Master's Son and all of his dramas are so beautiful oh but with Master's Sons, Hong Sisters had full control he couldn't derail the story <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Hong sisters are another story of self-derailing. So,
1: Who are um, the writers, by the way, audience? I'm sorry. Sometimes we just say oh, yes. things yes. without realizing. Hong sisters <laughs> are these really influential old school writers who have done amazing work. And they wrote Master's Son and were full, mm-hmm. in full control. <laughs> Um but
0: I mean that again, a pair that we'll talk about another day. Yeah. But yeah, Ginyu, I'm not sure he's like he's got a certain touch, but he like he's falling into that group of like one who Yeah, like you know the director of um uh, is it the first season of Forest of Secrets, aka Stranger, um, uh, Angiro, who also did Watcher, but he also did Record of
1: Youth. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> oh, <how? laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> he was so excited because he was directing. I mean, how?
0: Yeah, I wonder if it's a genre thing, um, because I feel like this Sisyphus is closer to the old Jinyok, but there's also still, like, bad,
1: choices but we will not we will not go we will, we will not go to that yeah and also it's not like he's not you see his experience when he finally decides to give us the story it's actually mm. done really well the time travel is a difficult concept to explain or you know show In any kind of story, usually it's a mess and leaves audiences completely confused. And I wasn't confused by Sisyphus's timeline at any point because they had taken Mm. care. I mean, yes, they had given us information practically through a drip set. It was so slow. (laughs) But even so, when we finally, when the, you know, when everything fell into place and they finally started telling the story at a faster trot, it was good. It was really good. Mm, yeah. His directing can be good. It's just that he... It's it's just that I don't know what. I
0: think, like, my theory here is that if you look at it in writing, imagine this story as something that you read.
1: It would be an excellent book. Exactly.
0: Oh. But then think about... Like having to translate that from, and it's very subtle. Some of those things are really subtle. Like the things that we complain weren't foreshadowed. Like, for example, the, what do you call it? The control bureau and the, the planned incompetence that they had. I can see that being written into the script, and even when they did the flashback, um, you know, towards the end, where like, so he realizes, or somebody realizes that, you know, all of this was meant to be. Even the flashback didn't show it well, and I think it's perhaps the inherent difficulty of translating something so subtle in writing, but there and evident, into something that is visual. Because once it's visual, it's, it sort of almost stops being subtle, because that's the nature of having to put something in front of somebody's eyes. Yeah. But also that said, I think another difficulty was presented by the structure of the narrative which is highly highly unusual um in a dra- in a, any kind of drama, I guess. I think like western dramas have a lot more practice. They've got like decades behind them of doing time travel. Whereas mm-hmm. don't forget that K-drama is still quite new to doing this genre and, you know, when it comes to TV, you've got to make what sells. So there's not always a lot of incentive to make a genre drama. And it's also a highly experimental place, but it's, it's balancing the risks of, you know, the, the financial risk of doing a drama that may not like uh, have the kind of viewer payoff that a standard romance or melodrama or thriller might have also being able to, like, give yourself time to tell a particular story. And the thing with Sisyphus is that it needed the time. One, because it needed its world building. But two, it was also setting up a very specific type of narrative. And this is, this is where we get into the part that I really, like, once I understood this, I was like, oh, it, like, it just, it got my brain in that special way where I'm like, oh, this is so, oh, I love it. Um, So they had this, like, And like throw away the idea that the structure of Sisyphus was linear. This is a time travel drama. Linear is always hard. Like time travel doing linear is not, um, it's very pedestrian. You can't really play with it if you do it that way. Yeah, true. So the structure of Sisyphus is actually like circular or or a ring structure. So it's got this story, and it's like from your episode one, you start both at the end, you start at the end and at the beginning. And each successive step into the narrative is a step towards the center. And the center of this narrative is D-Day's apocalypse. And so once you sort of have that structure in your mind, like I, this is the kind of thing I'd really appreciate, and I love this whenever I see it anywhere else, is this intricate construction of a, a big picture like you have to look at the thing in in full or at least clock onto that structure to be able to understand how cool it is that they've done it this way yeah. and I know a lot of people don't have the patience for that but I'm glad that I did
1: But which is why it's a genre drama because it has mm. a particular niche audience in mind. It's peculiar that JTBC thought that this kind of story should be their 10th year anniversary hurrah mm. but um. I mean, yay for us, so <laughs> yeah.
0: There are times where you're like, oh, they spent so much money on this.
1: Um, I, I appreciated every penny spent on that uh dive from the roof to the bottom across that like <laughs> that shiny fun. glass surface. I yeah. mean, what was that? How are they alive? Did you watch the BTS? I, I did. Think that, yeah, and, that was sick. So- <laughs> J- Trying to be a wimp over and over again (laughs) was the best BTS ever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they clearly had so much fun shooting this. Mm. It's just, you know, all is forgiven. But okay, I had a slight rebuttal to your point about uh, how difficult it is to adapt. A story that works really well as a written piece into the screen, but you know that with adaptation, the job of the director is to take the written word and change things that don't work on screen. Mm. It seems to me that this director requires their script writers to be the drivers. Like, he will focus on making everything pretty, the frames will be gorgeous, everyone will be perfectly cast look-wise, it just, the looks will be great, but the script writer has to have... um, Basically, give him the storyboard every... Right. Yeah, exactly. Which is his job, actually. You know, okay, I'll tell you why I find him so self-indulgent. Because, dude, it's 2021. When was Queen Inhun's man? That was almost a decade back. 2012, but 20, not his drama. Ni- no, hmm. not his drama, but 2012, man. And they did time travel. So that was time travel. True, yes, it was magical true. time travel. It was time travel. <laughs> I was done. Beautifully. And I don't actually remember too many uh fantasy dramas before that. Twenty ten to twenty twelve was where the sudden boom of um your nascent fantasy drama started happening mm-hmm. before that. And also, cable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, cable. So before that, you basically just had the Mark Chung type stuff. I mean, you had Goong in 2006, and that that kind of spread. That kind of started all of these high school dramas and all of that stuff. But you only started having fantasy from 2010ish. I forget which drama. Uh, it, it's somewhere, it's around 2010 that some drama happened and was, it was a Secret boom. Garden. <laughs> oh, was it, oh, wasn't that 2013? Am I confused? No, that was 2010. Oh, 2010. then it must have been Secret Garden. So it was something, it, it just started a boom. And so you did time travel amazingly in 2012. This same director, of course, did a series of, what was the writer's name? Um, Kim Byung-soo. Kim Byung-soo of Queen in man did a lot of dramas after that. Some of them completely bombed like The Bride of Habeck and um, <laughs> also did a Korean odyssey. Oh, by the way, he also directed Scripting Your Destiny, which is this mini web series. And it's kind of mocks Goblin, but like in a very, you know, affectionate way. It like it makes references. But wasn't
0: that also a Kim In-suk project? So that would make sense. Right. Oh, before we move on from the structure, though, there was one more thing I wanted to add. Can I do that? Yeah, go on. Which is sort of like very related and adjacent to like the circular structure of the narrative, which is the bookending pattern, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. So and, and like the and it does this like it does it episodically, but then it also does it like as a whole. And yeah, I just really enjoy that kind of structure. But it it's also true that it does not emerge until you're quite a bit of the way in. Like, you don't realize that that's the pattern until, you know, episode 7, 8, yeah. 12. <laughs> and that's probably a
1: lot far too long for many people to wait and yet it was worth the wait I, I completely agree it was worth the wait I was also just thinking that um, Circle which is the only sci-fi oh, such a good show right only I sci-fi. always whenever you say sci-fi I always
0: like immediately you, know, you say sci-fi
1: I say Circle <laughs> yeah, right because <laughs> you can't really think of too many sci-fi and Korean dramas to begin with so when there's a good one it really sticks to your head and for mm. me Sisyphus is almost up there with Circle it's um, mm. one of the few dramas that I would be like, yes, pure sci-fi here, watch. And intentionally. Yeah, intentionally. And Circle had a similar... um, It's not a pacing issue. It's um, unfolding style in that you Mm. had no clue what the mystery was like you didn't it was no I hadn't I hadn't read the description at all I'd gone Mm. in blind so for the first two or three episodes I was what is going on you actually don't know what the show is about yeah it's true yeah and also the future characters Like you don't know who amongst the future characters Mm. is the past character like so you're speculating it's just um
0: yeah but see this is probably what circle did in a very superior way compared to this show, mm-hmm. is that it meant like the tension yeah. was it was so taut that even though you have no idea what's going on for like three episodes or four episodes and that was a 12 episode so remember that your narrative like time is used very very well because it's very finite um you have no idea what's going on but you are there yeah. because you want to know what happens next. Yeah. And you're holding all of this information in your brain and they're giving it to you in a way that each thing that you learn adds up to each thing that you knew. Yeah, And, you know, I, I don't want to say Sisyphus fails on it because it doesn't ultimately fail, but it does uh, that that rationing of information uh, and parceling it out. It didn't perhaps do it in the best uh, proportions, but it still did it. I, I feel like... Maybe it just depends on your mood, to be honest. There are days where I'm like... I don't have the patience for a slow drama. Like I just recently, um, after my Ramadan break, I just picked up Nevalera again. Mm. And I've found myself speed watching it because it's like, it's going slowly. <laughs> I love it, but I want it to go faster. But then be- I remember when I was watching it before, I was really sort of in the slow moments and I haven't speed watched for quite some time. Yeah. And I forgot that I could do that. But um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's very much a mood thing. It depends on how you feel at the time. Maybe there are people who... Like Sisyphus frustrated them now, but on a different day, they'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep watching.
1: Yeah and also i mean poor k dramas man we constantly complain that second halves are weaker with this drama the second half was stronger the second half was should so much stronger be, yeah should we just be happy <laughs> and stop complaining now <laughs> uh, yeah honestly it's such a it's
0: such a there's no way to predict which thing is going to keep you watching yeah. and what's going to make you drop something i wanted to add also about the like the repertoire of k drama sci-fi yeah. um another Joseonu drama because I don't know if you... Did you watch the sort of the making specials of Circle?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Oh, go watch it. It's really good. Go also watch Circle again because... <laughs> okay. Yeah, oh,
1: I, I am watching Circle again, actually. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um,
0: so they, they had this making special afterwards where they talk about the difficulty of creating sci-fi for K-drama audiences because K drama audiences do not know sci-fi. It's not a familiar genre for them. Yeah. It's not, it's something you have to really work hard to convince people to watch. Because it's also, it's not like um, you know, weekday muktung or um a show you can't drop in on the show because you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. You have to follow that show from the beginning to the end. And that's one of the sort of baked in it's not a problem, but it's a characteristic of how you watch uh, long, arc sci-fi- long arc sci fi. Long arc sci fi. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, unless it's like Star Trek or something, sci fi often by its nature is long arc because you need time to do things like world building and setting up the plot of the story. So, you know, that first quarter, at minimum, first quarter is going to be spent on doing like this, the slog of setting up the story you have to bear through and i i think this is true like i can think of this in many other shows not all korean which is where like the first and even in books like the first hundred pages are hard work but then the story starts because they've set you up and now you're good to go yeah um what was i gonna actually say here there oh right um sci-fi and circle and how they actually talked about you know we were making a sci-fi and we knew these were the problems that were going in yeah. so i re-watched uh god's gift 14 days uh quite recently by which i mean like six months ago and I think I've talked about rewatching it frequently without actually talking about the rewatch. So they also have a making special where they, the production team, talk about the same, exactly the same thing, and that was 2014 about the problems of making sci-fi and how how God's Gift was essentially <laughs> a sci-fi. And I didn't think of God's Gift as a sci-fi, but you know, it was time travel. It was about trying to change specific outcomes with the knowledge that you had of the future. So, yeah, I mean, actually, it was hard sci-fi. I mean, not hard, hard, but because there was that magical mechanism that lands them in the past. So in that sense, it wasn't hard. But the time issues, they required uh, a scientific rigor to them. And it required all of this, um, like... That's a completely separate... I was going to say the foreshadowing and the way that they like n- interlace these timelines and to to then get to the end and look back at all the other stuff. So it did, it did that really well. Um, completely different um, tangent. But what I mean to say is that every time K-Drama does sci-fi, it's this sort of an intentioned effort where they know it may not have a payoff even if they have an enormous budget. Yeah, true. And it's sort of trial and error. It still is. Like, you have to have the space to do it wrong because otherwise you're not going to, you know, figure out how to do it better.
1: That's true. And also, maybe um, an explanation as to why the director chose the style he did. Because watching this drama, you can see director Jin Hyuk's touch in that I have seen this in Legend of the Sea. I've seen this in City Hunter. Mm. He directed this not as a sci-fi but as a thriller Mm -hmm. so he did the mundane life in the first third and then he did the development of the conflict and then he did the payoff it has a thriller's arc and that may have worked with a slightly different story but in a story that has such a large canvas it just got Mm -hmm. stretched out too much that that's how i see it Mm -hmm. um and here's the thing, because we have watched so many Western sci-fi audiences like us, we watch this and we are like, why didn't you do this? This would have been, or at least that's mm. what I do. I've been mentally rewriting Sisyphus's first half for months now. <laughs> you know, like a simple thing that, I'm sorry, I'm going to waste a bit a bit of the time of the podcast and, and, and go into this. For instance, I kept thinking that instead of revealing Sohei's time uh, in post-apocalypse Korea. Uh, several episodes down the line and instead of like so his introduction was so gormless and frustrating you see her in this cave like (laughs) structure she enters like she has a conversation with her dad where he's like don't meet this so promise me and then she goes in and she emerges in this train yard and there are people (laughs) chasing her and she's in this shirt and she's on top of a train and she's just lounging there while all of these people are kind of cornering her and then it just cuts away and you don't know what... How did she get away from there? Also, why is she sunbathing at night on top of a train? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to that. that. Um, <laughs> my point is that instead of doing that dumbass thing, you know what I keep thinking? The best way to start this show instead of that, that in, inside the uploader would probably have been a glimpse of Post-apocalypse, like start at post-apocalypse, and at some point, while Sohei is walking in that horribly destroyed city, just transition into into current day Seoul or current day whatever oh, Korea. That would have been and cool. just do that transition where you know the screen kind of just shifts and you know yeah. part of it is broken and part of it is whole, and then suddenly the entire screen is like of whole you know current day Seoul, and she's walking in current day Seoul and she's completely lost. Or something like that. Point is, you can start every single episode by showing a little bit of Sohei's experience in post apocalypse and then transition, somehow transition mm. back to current day where either her actions are being mirrored or something she learned in post apocalypse is being applied to current day. We have seen the structure done so many times and I could cry. It would have worked so <laughs> well with this drama. Now that you've said it,
0: I feel like. Oh, why didn't we have that? That's you missed your calling P you should have been a director. I,
1: I should have or been at least...
0: whoever sits behind the director and <laughs> says,
1: This is crap. We do this. <laughs>
0: Yet, all of that said, I will say that Sisyphus has presented, of all the K dramas I've watched, it's presented the most complex time travel. It it absolutely. And it clearly understood all the various time travel theories. And like there were moments of it whereas, and if you ask any person who is an expert in like the time travel genre, (laughs) they would probably put dark at the top of the, the pyramid of time travel shows. And there were points of that where I was like, oh, this is like dark. And which that's is a German drama, by the way, guys. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> German Netflix time travel thriller. Very dark. Um, <laughs> not for everybody. I mean, it was barely even for me. I dropped that show like six episodes in until a friend of ours told me a particular spoiler, which I was like, <gasps> and then I just had to go back. And that was it. Um, but anyway, that show, I think, is a kind of uh, an object lesson in how to do time travel where the time travel is as scientifically rigorous and i'm saying that in air quotes as it's possible to be for something that isn't a thing so in that sense i think sisyphus is the most advanced offering in the time
1: travel genre for K-dramas. yeah agreed and also you know when a story has been comprehensively told is when you can come up with speculations and theories And then go to the story and then run the program and see if this speculation works. Mm. Because all of the speculations I'm reading online, I'm like, no, this doesn't work. Because at this point, this person would be this much old. And so, you know, that would not work if they went back Mm. in time. My point is, your foundation has to be solid for you to run these theories over them, you know. Mm. But if if there were loopholes to begin with, you wouldn't be able to speculate with such joy. <laughs> yeah, and the writer had
0: clearly watched many time travel dramas, right? Yeah, I felt like that really showed. It did. Um, in a good way. We should probably move on to talking about <laughs> the actual movie. show. Yeah. <laughs> we spent like an hour talking about all of the stuff <laughs> about the show. Yeah, but um, there's a lot to talk
1: about in like characters and heroes and villains and yeah, there is, but. I think the reason we are so obsessed with the uh, story, the narrative itself, was because the narrative was kind of the hero of, of the was, drama. It was, it was the I have actors, yes. But we were watching it for the story once the story started getting told. Yeah, that's a that's a really good
0: point because, and this is an observation that you made in your video as well, which is that many of the characters, and you said this about female characters, but I feel this is also true for nearly all of the characters in this show, that they existed in archetypes. And that meant that the characters in themselves were not necessarily interesting. Like um, Sigma as a villain was not really interesting in himself. He was interesting as a symbol and, you know, like he was literally a symbol. But also that (laughs) came out a little less in the very central characters. But as you got outwards in like your secondary characters and even your tertiary characters, they often presented better if you thought about the role that they played as a character rather than who they were as characters. Like, for example... Oh, can I just say... I was about to say, like, for example, Sun. um, I'm just... I'm so... I was so attached to my theory of Sun being Sigma and (laughs) I'm still disappointed that he wasn't because (laughs) that would have been such a good turn. (sighs) Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) But it would have been inexplicable. I mean, Sun was just such a... Ball of sunshine. And also, oh, one of the best, I I don't know, directorial and editorial choices was how they shot his narrative of how he... How he won the lottery. Oh, that was so good. Like, that that <laughs> yeah. one scene blew me away. I'm like, I'm watching a totally different drama right now. What is happening? But it suited his character mm. so well when he was telling the story. I'm like, I wish more characters in this drama would tell stories. That would be so good. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of
0: do, though. You know, interestingly, Sisyphus, for a drama where we are really, like, we talked so much about the action, they do like, do a lot of character storytelling. Like, there's all these points where Cho Seung-woo, I've forgotten his character name already, or oh, tae is Taesul. telling <laughs> stories about himself. And, like, that, you know that sort of that narrator's voice? It does happen a lot, now that I'm thinking about it. We had it a lot. True, we did. And, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I think it was that, that wistful, that, that sort of that sense of loss and grief and just, like, a wistful tone in a drama always gets me. And that yeah. that ost that song that's just the one the
1: ost was so yeah and its variations <laughs> they were just so good and it really got me in the mm. i don't know it got me in the heart and got me in the mood of watching yeah like a, a proper expansive um oh something i wanted to say again man these points just like <laughs> they do not come to me in time i mean i think you mentioned at the very beginning that um you don't really uh, like reading sci-fi so much as you like watching them. I hate reading sci-fi. I never do it. <laughs> For me, I don't like hard uh, sci-fi fiction, like written. I realized that when I was reading Asimov and stuff as a kid, and wasn't like I I read it because I had liked some sci-fi, but I couldn't figure out why I didn't like this. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have read enough hard sci-fi that I get all references, but I don't. It, I didn't enjoy them. You know what I enjoy though. Space opera. Space (laughs) operas are the best, and I realize that it's space operas that actually get turned into television. True, that is very true. Deep Western. Time travel—they are all space opera. They are just mm. so freaking dramatic. There is nothing hard sci-fi <laughs> about them. So I'm sorry, this this point came too late. <laughs> no,
0: but as, as you were talking, I realized like why? Because you're talking about like Philip K. Dick and people like and as, or maybe yeah. you weren't, and I was thinking of that and acting like you could read my brain. Um, but hard sci-fi, especially written by men in books. I I just realized this, that they have no EQ, like they're all IQ, no EQ. And I need my EQ. That's why I read. This is why I consume stories. Because for me, it's about feeling feelings. And, you know, Android streaming of electric sheep is not for, it's, (laughs) I know they pose these very interesting philosophical inquiries. And on a particular day, maybe I'll be like, okay, I'll give you five minutes. But for the most part, that's not why I read. And it's not why I watch TV. And you know, more power to people who love them. And obviously people do because these authors are rich and popular and amazing. Um, But yeah, Yeah. not for me. And this is kind of why the collision of K-drama with sci-fi is one that I find more exciting than a plain Western one because they really bring that emotional core to a story. And the same in Sisyphus. Like there are things in Sisyphus that are uh, like some of the relationships are so powerful Despite everything we've said, like the relationship between Tesul and Sohe is so beautiful and I think the b- absolute best relationship in the entire drama was like between Sohei and her dad. yeah and like it wants to take you on an emotional journey and that's what like k-dramas do they want to take you on an emotional journey but like the thing with sci-fi is it adds the extra element of also having to take you on the sci-fi journey true
1: okay so we were talking about these so before <laughs> I digress oh, and I wanted to talk a bit about his arc Because, first of all, I complained so much about the show focusing on Tesol and not telling uh, the actual time travel story (laughs) in the first half. But Tesol's story is actually interesting. The drama does this weird thing where they try to make him into that archetype. Uh, you know the the billionaire playboy philanthropist, the Iron Man Tony occupied, Stark. Tony Stark
0: <laughs> was but, that his name? Did I say that wrong? <laughs> I don't know who he is, but now I know. Like yeah, yeah, yeah Tony
1: Stark. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they do a couple of these, right? Of course, he is definitely rich. He is a genius. He's not a playboy though. Like, they really try. But poor boy, he's he's clearly not a playboy. He's a nerd. He's
0: a nerd with no EQ.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No EQ, a lot of entitlement. But not um, chauvinistic entitlement. Mm -hmm. I think what I loved most about Thiesel was how quick he was to realize that Sohei was just more competent than him at uh, survival. (laughs) And he was like, yes, please... (laughs) help me live (laughs) I will try to think of you know smart things to do in the background yeah it's practical (laughs) I I really love that Mm -hmm. I mean you don't
0: get to billionaire status without being incredibly practical and recognizing how to use people's talents in the best ways yeah yeah
1: (laughs) he was very good at delegating so he didn't have to do the work (laughs) Oh, so yeah. that, that's great except of course delegating too much meant that he ended up losing the company. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can we talk about how he was a really trash friend? Which is sort of the root of his downfall. Yeah, yeah, let's let's talk about how every Every villain in this story became a villain because Teesul was uh, a jerk to them. <laughs> also, in fairness, like if we consider
0: Sigma's backstory, he was not a jerk to Sigma to begin with. Sigma, and this is interesting because it, it shows you the contrast between the characters, is that Sigma didn't actually have a r- real relationship with Tesul, And... He is, what was the name? Uh, Soonju, the Sigma's original name? Was that Soonju? I do not remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but and I guess this is why Sigma is presented as the villain, because he he was driven by his sense of entitlement. The world owes me something, TeSul owes me something. I did not deserve to be treated in this way. And in some respects, he's right. He didn't deserve to be treated in the very inhumane ways in which he was treated. But also his expectations are what led him to be treated in that way. And his expectations were not reasonable, you know? which is very fluffy without... I'm sh- I'm just assuming everyone's watched the drama at this point.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, of course, the system failed him in that mm. he was... He came from an abusive family. There were clear signs of abuse on his face, but the mm. teachers did nothing about and, it. And, like, it wasn't Tirso's job to fix that. Like, he didn't have the capacity.
0: He was a kid. They were the same age, right? There was yeah. no way that he could have been the saviour for baby Sigma. That's true. So to put that burden on him is an unfair ask of his character. But Tirso is fully 100% responsible for how he treats him as an adult in the future. And that was trash. You're a bad friend and a bad human being.
1: Yeah, a bad human (laughs) being. And it is shown as a turning point for Sigma. Like he is at his absolute worst when he's trying to Himself, and then here comes his classmate, whom he hates because the classmate has succeeded so much. Love hates, love is obsessed and yeah, you know, in both. as in he wants to be yeah. Yeah. yeah, he kind of wants to be him, be his best friend, be him, anything yeah. like super, yeah, super I mean,
0: okay. We'll talk
1: about the end at the yeah, end. Yeah, we'll <laughs> talk about that <laughs> But there are so many things to talk about later, dude. Will this ever end? <laughs> it's gonna have to, because I have to go to work. Uh, soon. <laughs> okay, so the system failed, uh, Sigma. Yes. But the show actually shows that point as the turning point for Sigma in that he was at rock bottom trying to kill himself. Then suddenly this guy comes whom he hasn't seen in years, Have who's this really rich person. And he comes and he treats him like dot and tries to murder him. And he's like, well, the world is shit on top of crap. And clearly, nobody deserves to live. <laughs> I mean, just... You can't blame him, right? I can't blame him. I mean, Park Bo Young in, in Doom at your service asked for destruction for the world for far less. Kind of. <laughs> so it's just... Yeah, him being a jerk to sigma definitely was a turning point. And mm. the prop the okay, it's not a problem so much, but something that I noticed about TeSoul's arc, like even at the very end where Tezos is smart enough to realize that someone being an asshole to sigma at that exact point may have created the current sigma. So someone I needs don't know to- that he did. I think he kind of did because he chose... Uh, so his dad. So his dad. To go,
0: Yeah, but you know, uh, he told So his dad to take Sigma out... Um, before he was Sigma to sort of take him out of the picture. He didn't tell yeah. him to be nice to him. That's true. He didn't get true. it until the end. See, Taisal is this person who is... Did he get it then? I don't think he <laughs> did. Taisal, to me, he is that person who he's only good to the people he loves yeah he's not essentially a destructive person so he's not necessarily going to like destroy the world like Sigma but in many ways I'm not sure how different he is from him in his non-caring of other people and the people he likes he's good to and I always find that a little you know like in real life I don't like people like that like you can't be a jerk to everyone else and it's okay because you're good to your friends yes you should be good to your friends. But there's also a baseline yeah. level of good that you need to be to other human beings. Like to treat them as human beings, not as replaceable objects or yeah. in you know, like dispensable pieces in the grand drama of your life. You know? Yeah. Agree. I don't know if I'm sort of being wor- like looking at him worse than he actually is. Because I say that, but I also really love TeSo <laughs> We
1: love Teeso because of Chosen Wu, let's be realistic. It's how he played true, this character true. where he you was In a lesser actor.
0: Yeah, that might not have been a likable character.
1: Yeah, in a lesser actor, we we would have been just like tearing him out. apart, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so this is interesting. Um I like thinking of it both ways. Uh, on the one hand, it's perfectly possible that Thesol went to saw his dad and was like, you know, I'm outsourcing the kindness to you. I'm not capable <laughs> of it, so you show him kindness. But you know, we actually get that.
0: Like we get the part like in the show, we get that moment where he tells uh his dad what to do. And there's no instruction of being kind to this man. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely
1: right. There's just right. remove him just, from the board. That's all there is. Yeah. I just assumed that he chose him because he knows the entire situation. He
0: chose him because he
1: was at his disposal.
0: Because he was a piece that was available for him to use. So he used him. Yeah, you're, you've convinced me.
1: You're probably right. I was
0: giving him too much credit. <laughs> but like, I don't think there's malice in him. So, and this is the difference. There's no malice in him. There's just no empathy either. Exactly. He
1: doesn't realize, which which makes him kind of dumb, if you think about yeah. it. Like This genius character is actually not very smart. Okay, uh, this is something else that I found so interesting in this drama. That Sohei does most of the really smart moves because she gets the other person. Like, she gets how the mind of the other person works. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, in the way she figures out how the Asia Mart, how to handle the Asia Mart Uh, uh, (laughs) boss, right? She just has a really... She's empathetic, yes, but also she is clever that way. Whereas Tesol never even considers the other person's Mm. perspective. It's a weakness. Which
0: is interesting because Sohei has grown up without humans around her, apart from her dad,
1: (laughs) you know? Yeah, agreed. Okay, I also want to talk about Eddie Kim briefly. Yes, Tesol is unempathetic, and you see this very much in Eddie Kim's arc. I mean, yes, he was a bit of a parasite of a friend. You can clearly see that. Like he met Tesol in college, realized he's this brilliant boy but has nobody around him, and kind of made himself into a slave/slash friend. Like Oh, he- do you think that? Because I actually see he's a genuine friend. Like, I I feel like... He said it. Okay, he he did. it like that. At one point, he was like, I made myself indispensable to you. Mm. I washed your underwear. I was there to do everything for you. Have you ever, like, turned around and said thanks? I mean, I get it. But he didn't do it out of genuine friendship. He did it because he had spent eight years trying to get his PhD papers, I don't know, approved or something. Whatever you do with PhD papers. And this guy, Teesul, <laughs> he, he came in and his stuff was like, I think he was out in like a year or something, which I don't know how you do that with PhD, but whatever. I mean, point is he's genius. Everybody thinks he's genius. Everybody also thinks he's a jock and doesn't want to be, a, you know, his friend. And Eddie saw an opportunity in that. You should just just go back and watch that scene where he explains how he met Teesul. Hmm. He says it like, I realized that he had no friends. I I overheard these professors talking about his paper and I realized that the thing that I'd been trying to do for eight years, he hadn't even come into the program and he had already succeeded. So I found him and I became his friends and I did everything for him. I mean, he says it like that, but what does it mean? It means that he decided, oh, hey, yeah. I I feel like
0: though he said it like that, I do think he was a genuine friend. I think what he said afterwards, that was him looking back on his friendship and all of the ways in which he'd sort of been the lower hand in that friendship. And also, I mean, that was spurned feelings. He could shoot Sohei out of the bitterness in his heart. Like, you know, that, that feeling can destroy the world but I genuinely like I didn't even suspect him and I think this came through throughout the entire show that he had a genuine attachment to Teesul and like for example when he gets shot or when Teesul gets shot right uh, at the beginning he jumps right in front of him and that's not like that's not a calculated move that's the instinct to save your friend when they're uh, when they're gaslighting him, he he his instincts are always the instincts of a friend. And despite what he does later, and I think what he does later is because of the bitterness that has arisen from this unequal, one-sided friendship. I think his friendship was genuine, and even to the end, the things that he did was out of emotional pain, not out of like sociopathy or you know. I've said, you know, a lot. So
1: I don't <laughs> think it's, it's a matter of sociopathy so much as it is a matter of him creating a friendship in his head and also establishing a dynamic that will never let their relationship be that friendship. He found Tesol. He, listen, he he says it himself and I believe him when he says it. He uh, attached himself to Tesol in college because he overheard his professors talking about Thesol's work. He had a clear motive when he approached Teesul. And it was not because it was an organic friendship that just bloomed. He made himself a part of Teesul's life so that whatever Teesul did, he would be a part of it. It was mm-hmm. going to be kind of like Teesul's brilliance helping him be better. Like, you know, some, like we try to surround ourselves with people better than us so that we can also grow. That's a perfectly mm-hmm. normal thing to do. There's nothing... Bad about it. But the problem is that he went one step further in that he put himself in a subservient position to Thesul. His admiration for Thesul's mind was so vast, he thought he was inferior and he acted like he was inferior. So his years later, when he's frustrated that he has been in the background helping Thesul for so long but Thesul never seems to see him as a friend, well, you have put yourself in a position where Thesul has seen you as an employee probably since you were in college together. You have always acted like an employee. I actually, like,
0: I don't agree. Um, and I can see, like, I can see why you would think, why you would interpret it that way. But I think that Singbok's friendship was offered to him in good faith. And I think... Like if you think about and like I'm thinking for example, take like, you know when you have siblings like little brothers or little sisters or that one hapless hopeless friend, sure <laughs> Tesla is a genius, but he was so hapless in every other way. He needed Sungbok, and I feel like what Sungbok does for him, he does as a kind of you are actually hopeless. Everything else, you know, if it weren't for me, you'd just you'd still be in like your uh, shed. In the middle of a barley field or whatever it is. But, like, the problem isn't Sungbok. He offers his friendship in good faith. The problem is Tesul, who does not reciprocate friendship in the way that we understand a friendship to be reciprocated. See, Tesul thinks he's being a good friend. He actually doesn't have any idea what it is to be a, a friend at all, never mind a good friend. So, even though you could argue that Sungbok is like a parasitic friend, I feel that his intention was n- not like the way that he invested himself in the friendship was meant to be, was intended to be symbiotic. And it because Taesul is such an idiot, he doesn't receive anything like what Soongbok does for Taesul. They're things close friends do do for each other, except
1: Thistle is an idiot. And so Tizzle would never do that
0: for Songbird. Exactly do you because see what I mean, yeah, that, no, that's no, what let, let me, makes the friendship yeah. toxic. But also, no, I agree. He didn't have to like he. He should have bailed, but because he was benefiting, he didn't.
1: So, that, exactly yeah. my point. Like, think of this in terms of a romantic relationship. If we had seen a situation where a wife keeps helping the husband succeed and never gets a thanks in return, yeah. we would have been like, Why haven't you walked away? But then, what is wrong with you? But that's also, we know that the problem is with the guy, like yeah. with Tesol in this case. But we also know that you, like, okay, maybe the husband wife thing works, it uh, does not work. I mean, it somewhat because does, but there are very different. I mean, think about like the social pressures on a wife to stay with her husband. It's a husband. It yeah, doesn't work. Yeah, but I mean, this is sort of... It's not like even if you take away
0: social pressures, there are still internal pressures. There's like you're embedded in this relationship. So, it's your life at this point. So walking away from that means walking away from much more than walking away from a person. Yeah,
1: but also returning to their friendship, though, another point. When did Tesol ever hint to Eddie Kim that he has to sacrifice his love for Teesul? Nobody hinted that. Eddie realized that, uh, what's her name? Sojin was interested in Teysel and he just gave up and mm. walked away. Teysel never asked him to. You're but right, the way you're Eddie right. seemed to see this thing was, I gave up. Yeah, one
0: more thing yeah. for you. He sees himself as giving things up, but nobody asked you to give it up. the
1: heck? That was never even a competition. I mean, clearly (laughs) Teesul wasn't even that interested in Sosin. They broke up like he cheated on her. I mean, maybe
0: this is no, I agree. Actually, like all of the I agree. But then these are like the character flaws that human beings have, which for Singbuk is that he was a giver, but not in a good way. I mean, in a good way, but also in a way that he harmed himself where he didn't need to. And, you know, this is this is very human. You see this in so many people, particularly in the most toxic relationships where you have, you know, the narcissist and the empath, that that sort of the the darkest combination that you could possibly have. Someone who takes and takes and takes and someone who gives and gives and gives. And I'm not saying that either of those like Tesul or uh, Singbok, are necessarily the worst expression of that. But there is a a shadow of that dynamic or, or more than a shadow of that dynamic between them but there's also like you have to have self-awareness and this is the thing that actually perhaps characterizes all of the characters in this drama apart from Sohei and perhaps apart from like Son and people but definitely between Taesul, Sungbok Sigma all of them have no self-awareness of their own flaws, of the ways in which they affect other people through their actions, and also the things you just don't have to take from people. And I wrote this in my review that, yes, the situation that these characters were in, particularly Sigma and uh, Singbuk, who, by the way, is Eddie Kim, and I just got used to calling him Singbuk. No. <laughs> um is that these relationships are voluntary. But the problem is when you're in the middle of a relationship, you rarely remember or realize that you don't have to be there if it's bad. Like you are allowed to walk away. You are allowed to fold yeah. up this friendship and say, you know what? It was good while it lasted. And I'm going to now go somewhere else where people treat me well, where I'm valued for the contributions that I make, where I'm not the one giving more than I'm receiving, and where there's an equitable, reciprocal relationship between people. And, you know, maybe that's why those two are our villains in the end. And that's why Teh he has to sacrifice himself to pay the price of the life that he's lived.
1: So, but, but here's the sad thing. I don't think he even realizes that that is the price he's paying. He seemed to think, oh, well, people will keep coming for us unless I end myself. But he doesn't seem to realize it's my actions that have in some ways caused everything we are going through.
0: Yeah, I feel that the, the realization that he has that causes him to finally make the choice to sacrifice himself is that the only way that Sohei can live is if if he can end it by dying. Like, that's literally the only way Sohei will survive. Maybe not this Sohei, but that's the original Sohei. And that's, like, maybe it's the first altruistic thing he's ever thought in his life. Uh, which perhaps is a little unfair. And,
1: but, and as you said, he's only he's only capable of thinking of that for Sohei because mm. she's the only one he loves, aside yeah. from his brother maybe. But yeah. even with his brother.
0: But his brother lives as well, so that's like a knock-on uh, benefit. But yeah, you're right. Even with his brother, he's not that altruistic because he's a taker and... Like, his brother is clearly a giver. Yeah, and he's and the thing with uh, Tehsel, and I'm just realizing this as I'm saying it, is that he's learning how to give. And his tragedy is that the culmination of his character is that the only thing that is going to be sufficient for him to to give and therefore atone for all of his sins is to actually give his life. A life badly lived <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's the only way you can redeem yourself at this point. There's no other redemption for you. And we say this like he's a villain, but in some ways he kind of is. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I mean he's he's certainly a villain to the villains. He's a villain to Sungbok, he's a villain to what's his name? Sigma. And well, if you
1: if you think about it though, in terms of the story, if the hero is Sisyphus Sohei who's coming back to stop apocalypse from happening the villain is Tesol because he's the one who makes the uploader that makes Apocalypse possible. You're right. So her mission is <laughs> yes. always to stop Tesol. Her mission is never to stop Sigma. Sigma. It's true. It's Tesol who decides, oh, Sigma must be stopped. Oh, but honestly, he right. only had to stop himself. <laughs> it's
0: true. But as long as he was alive, he'd never be able to stop himself yeah. because he was alive. So he had to die. And that would actually, as an ending, that was perfect. Mm. It was such a good ending. <laughs>
1: Until... <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and then and, then, and then, and then, and then they did a chapter of what nineteen? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Which is a reference to Just. Harry Potter's last book, by the way. Yeah, okay. No, it was a nineteen Sorry. years later. We did not need oh, yeah, 19, nineteen years, years later. later. We did not. We did not need that. Oh, something else that struck me much later was that it's interesting that Sigma is the one who sends Sohei back. We don't know who sent Sohei back the first time because the Sigma who sent Sohei back is the one who knows that Sohei has a crucial part to play in their story. But how did she get on the uploader and go the first time? Presumably, there was still the... Horrible, you know, social gap. Like, she was basically a scavenger, whereas the elites were, like, living in their own world. She couldn't possibly have afforded to get on the uploader. So, mm. like, how did she get on it? Guns blazing. But that's not my point. I'm digressing. Mm. It's interesting that Sigma sends Sohei back after tesul has created the blueprint for the uploader. Because technically, the uploader already existed, at ah. least in theory, if not in mm. practice, when Sohei, so Sohei never could win alone she needed Tesol to somehow agree with her that okay fine mm-hmm. you know what like yeah let's not do this but it had already been out of Tesol's head and mm-hmm. it had come into the world sooner or later someone or the other would have figured out how to make the uploader work and I suppose in the original timeline that was Eddie Kim because remember at some point um, Sigma says that to Eddie that you're the one who creates the uploader but not this Eddie Kim, not this person. Yeah, but you know, he must have had the blueprints. I don't think that yeah.
0: anyone could have done that without the blueprints or another genius. So
1: that's Possibly. just, yeah. But that's exactly the thing. Like it existed already. Also, the okay, now I'm starting to think of loopholes in the story, which I wish I hadn't. <laughs> the uploader exists below though. Like it exists under the church. Even though Teso kills himself, there is a functional uploader right below them was it an upload yeah it was you're right and the sigma who turned nice but may not be nice now knows everything and there is a functional uploader below the church I'm just pointing out. That no, no, but, but then you, you would
0: assume, remember he programmed it to only work once and that was it, and no one else could crack that code. Oh, yeah.
1: But but the system exists. That's hubris, isn't it? Nobody else will ever be able to crack that code. <laughs> well, maybe that's the dark season two coming. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Yeah. Okay, I think we've basically pretty much talked about everything. we, we pretty much covered everything. Yeah. I just want to say, not discuss it so much, just see it as a statement. That Taisal and Sohei were really great partners. I mean, Mm. I just, even if they never had a romantic line, it would have been still a great partnership. In the end, they could have had that same death scene. It would have been just as emotionally Mm. impactful even if there was no romance between them. Which is why it worked for me, their relationship. I wasn't looking forward to a happily Mm. ever after. I was looking forward to a really great partnership and that we we got that in space yeah. and I have to say that like the
0: romance it wasn't like it was really a high like a high key romance it was a very it's a romance of what could have been if we had met in a normal way without the apocalypse hanging over our heads and the fact that you actually are not in the same timeline as me but like I really yeah. love the way they did those moments between them though. They were so beautiful. Yeah. And you know, just as a final thing before we finish up, I said that the turning point was episode seven for me, but I just realized as we were talking, actually it wasn't. The turning point was when that guitar kicked in at the end of episode two. That's the music you need if you want me to watch your drama. (laughs) Because sometimes I would just watch it just to hear that. I love the OST so much. It's Wistful Guitar. Wistful Guitar really just destroys me. (laughs) It's just, you want to grab me, use that always. And I was so sad because they barely used it in the second half. And then they finally brought it back for the end credits. And I was like, oh, my God. (sighs) Uh. (laughs) I have died and gone to heaven, except (laughs) heaven is an airplane. (laughs) oh gosh why why and now we have to end our episode like this <laughs> yes okay yes, thanks for listening <laughs> everyone <laughs> bye-bye <laughs> so if you want to follow us on twitter you can find us at dramas overflow you can find me personally not using twitter much at all at <laughs> not now Sayo. you
1: can find me borba at Festa faster You can find us on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on Facebook,
0: just search dramasoverflowers and you can follow us there. And come and read us on our blog, which is dramasoverflowers.net, where all of our Sisyphus reviews live the 20,000 word long monsters (laughs) that they are
1: come and read them we put a lot of time and effort into them and the one with the time travel map of loopiness which Sai has created that was episode 11 and 12 yes read that review in case we forget to link it (laughs) and (laughs) finally Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts yay
0: (laughs) We got to the end. Or did we get to the beginning? Ah. (laughs) Bye,
1: everyone. (laughs) Bye-bye.